Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It is live here on Bob Long Sports. And we do have a roundtable here today, virtually, of course, in a COVID world. Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, and K-Mac here with us. Excited for everybody to be here. Villanova off a strong win against the University of Texas on the road with uh, Shaka Smart and his team playing good basketball coming into this one. Winners of the Maui Classic straight out of North Carolina, of course. But Villanova, a strong effort. Let's get everybody's opening thoughts. Start with you, Kevin Long. Yeah, so I thought it was a strong showing for Villanova. Um, you know, not to discredit Hartford, but really the first big challenge after that disappointing loss to Virginia Tech. And it was really good to, to see them playing strong basketball again. Um, saw another great effort from Justin Moore. Uh, I'm really encouraged with the way that he's playing right now. Uh, I know the announcer said it a lot throughout the game. He's just always quietly there. You know, he's always getting the job done. He, he never makes a big scene. Um, you know, he doesn't get some of the recognition that guys like Gillespie and Robinson Earl are getting, but he really, uh, just had a really solid game against Texas. And, uh, you know, a lot of the rest of the team fed off that Robinson Earl had another nice game. Uh, you know, Daniels was, was a little bit down, but, but I think that's more so a result of Justin Moore getting some, uh, you know, more opportunities to score. Uh, and overall, I was, I was very encouraged by the, the performance that they put out on Sunday. K-Mac, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's been a little while. Tell yes, me. it's good to what, be back. Great to have you. You said you had a rant prepared. Whether or not that's true, <laughs> let's get your thoughts on Nova basketball. Uh, well, yeah, it was a good win, obviously. Uh, rant over. A long 10-minute uh, <laughs> ten ten lull, really, uh, after I think about the first four or five minutes, they started off pretty well. And then 10 minutes of being very passive. Uh, I thought uh, everybody wanted to make the extra pass, and it just kept going around and around, and nobody was willing to take that shot. And I think that's something that they need to do. Uh, everybody needs to take up and be willing to step up and take that shot. Tom, uh, you think that has anything to do with when Colin Gillespie might have found himself on the bench? Um, actually, I noticed a similar thing, and it was regardless of whether Colin was on the floor or not. If anything, I saw some defensive lapses when Colin was on the bench. Um, but I think, yeah, just almost too unselfish at times, you know, if that's possible. Um, you know, a lot of open shots that were passed up for better shots, they thought, but didn't necessarily result in a great shot at the end of the shot clock. Um, passive, I think, is 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 a good word for it, but but definitely pass up some opportunities. I thought they had to really extend the lead um, at key points in the second half. Um, but I agree with Kevin Long. I was encouraged. Um, as we mentioned, Caleb Daniels got into foul trouble, had some issues with turnovers. Um, so you see guys like Swider and Slater step up uh, and pace, play some solid minutes. Both of them played about 20 minutes, um, which is great. Um, Swider had some great defensive possessions, especially man-to-man -man down in the post. Um, so I think just really encouraging to go into Texas, play a, you know, shock a smart team, which always brings a lot of energy and intensity. Um, and their first game of the season in front of fans. I mean, what, there were, you know, a couple thousand fans in the crowd, and that was a, a different environment. And I think it was just a really good win overall. Those are our hosts here tonight, Bob Long, Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, K-Mac here with us. 
how you can find us. We are on SoundCloud and iTunes, Bob Long Sports, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. It's we can, uh, a lot of ways to disseminate the show. If you like listening on the drive and you're watching now, check us out on iTunes. If you like the video aspect of it, we're going to do some whiteboard stuff in upcoming episodes. Check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. It's the Villanova Basketball Report here on Bob Long Sports. So let's talk a little bit more in depth about this Texas game. Courtney Ramey, a strong player, 17 points. We knew a lot about him coming in. What's very interesting about Courtney Ramey is you guys might remember that back before Javon Quinterly came in, uh, Villanova was looking very hard at Courtney Ramey at the guard position. But once the Arizona commitment fell through for Quinterly, Courtney Ramey actually canceled a visit that he had to Villanova and they decided to go with Quinterly uh, after he could no longer attend Arizona. Things did not really go well at Villanova for Quinterly or for Villanova for that matter. And Ramey perhaps a bit of a, a revenge tour on this one uh, and, and something I think he was, I'm sure, very much looking forward to playing playing hard, and they could not quite get the victory. But I tell you what, Ramey, a solid player. Um, Texas likes to talk a little bit. You could tell that as you're going up and down the floor and as you're watching the game. You know, Ramey hits the game-tying three, takes even the score at 57, points to his watch, looks to his bench, and says, it's time. Uh, and right after that point, it's Cole Swider, a guy with – if you're going to go with a plus-minus thus far this year – Tough to say whether it'd be in the affirmative there or not for some of his defensive mishaps and miscues, but hit a huge three in the game's dying moments. And important for him, I think, Kevin Long, to be there in those key offensive moments. The reason I think he's in that game is because he played a modicum of better defense than we had seen earlier this year, and he flashed out a little bit in the first half. Allowed him to be on the floor in those dying moments. Yeah, he, he certainly played a little bit better on defense, um, which is a great step in the right direction for him. It's still difficult for him just because of his size and position. He's he's sort of too big and, and not quick enough to cover the guards, but also not, you know, big enough to, to cover a forward or a center and box him out. So, you know, as we've gone over multiple times over the past three years of the show, um, you know, defense has been a struggle for him, but he's going to find himself in important games down the stretch like this because of his offensive ability. We saw how he traded off Swider and Slater often down the stretch there, some offense, defense, and and you know when they're putting him in there in the game for offense that they're going to try to get the ball to him. Uh, you, you know he's your best three-point shooter. He's probably your best offensive weapon in that regard so uh, you know he's going to be counted on to make some big shots down the stretch now it's, it's just a matter of being able to put it together on the defensive end to really make himself a starter for this team and, and someone they can rely on and not have to play that offense defense game down the stretch and obviously there are moments when you know Texas or whoever else goes right into their next offensive possession you can't yank him out of the game so there are going to be times when, when he's really going to be called upon to, to also play defense down the stretch. Hey, Mac, let's get a referendum on Cole Swiders. You see at this point through his sophomore year? Sophomore year. Junior. Yeah, I mean. Junior like, year. Wow. Time time flies when you're, you're not getting much floor time. Go <laughs> ahead, K-Mac. 
Uh, like Kevin was saying, I mean, not just at the end of the games. I mean, he's the only guy that scored off the bench. So if anybody gets in foul trouble in some future games, they're going to be looking to him to come in and light a spark if the team's struggling. So um, he missed a few shots, uh, that a couple open shots that I thought he should have hit this game. But like you said, he did hit the big one when it mattered. And, uh, and hopefully that helps him going forward with some uh, some motivation to get some playing time um, and some confidence level up, up a little. I think this was a huge game for Cole Swider in terms of confidence, like K-Mac just said. Um, we saw a fire out of him that we haven't seen, um, especially in those possessions where he had to make a stand defensively. And Texas, like teams are going to, went at him. They targeted him, kept feeding the ball, um, his direction, and the commentators even mentioned it. You know, They said that Texas is attacking Cole Swider every time he is on the floor. Um, so I was really proud of him. You could see how you know, pumped up he was after those possessions, screaming, teammates pumping his chest. Um, and I think that not only is necessary because we need him to play and play well defensively, especially without Brian Antoine, without Dada. He's going to play minutes, and we need him to play solid minutes defensively. Not only that, but I think that helps him on the offensive end. You know, confidence breeds confidence. Um, so I think it was a really, really big game for him. Um, and very encouraging moving forward because we need him um, to play good minutes this year. Yeah, you saw the rallying around, Tom, right? The players really, I think, realized that it was momentous in nature and that they need him to be good at that position. There's not a lot of depth at that type of front court position, right? Eric Dixon's role still to be developed. Demir Cosby Roundtree, no real timetable at this point, at least that I'm aware of for his return, or at least return in a capacity where he can play 20 minutes a game. So they need a guy to go against some of the opposing bigs. We've seen Jeremiah Robinson Earl get in foul trouble at times. And so what it reminded me of is very good movie. Reminded me of Moneyball, right? Scott Hatterberg. They needed him to play first base because he's a good hitter, but can't you already have a designated hitter you need him to play third first base in order to get onto the field and uh, Ron Washington who was one of the fielding coaches at the time you know just every time he caught the way pick a machine pick a machine right whether or not it deemed or was was uh, needed for that type of positive reinforcement whether another player would have earned that same type of positive reinforcement it doesn't really matter right you need Cole Swider to be in the lineup and to gain some confidence and you're almost manufacturing and forcing it upon him, which is really important because he's a guy that the game is starting to slow down for him on the offensive end. He's been a tremendous shooter through his years in high school, came in, game was too quick for him. I don't think the game is too quick for him right now. I do think he needs to increase his physicality, but his ability to make shots, I'm becoming more convinced. And they do, again, I'll say it, need him on that defensive end whether or not he's ready for it Bob with the movie references geez going to his arsenal of movies today that's right watch out I got about three more that I'm able to quote for you if you need <laughs> wide variety of movie knowledge but yes I mean K-Mac your, your thoughts on, on anything else going on Cole yeah, Swider or otherwise I don't think he's shot a free throw at all this year too he needs to get some confidence driving and getting to the line somehow. I mean, I know it's not his game, but I mean, he has to figure out how to get some easy points too. Yeah. That's the one thing Villanova did pretty well though, guys, 19 free throws to just six 
for Texas. Um, you know, it's, it's, we've seen it in waves with this team. They can get a little bit three happy around the perimeter. Um, but I think they've done a better job this year and Jeremiah Robinson are all being able to post up or get to the top of the key and make a decision either off the bounce or off the pass has allowed them to, to attack the rim. Um, speaking of free throws, Kevin, Another missed front end of the one-and-one with an opportunity to salt away the basketball game. It was Colin Gillespie. He had one against Virginia Tech as well. And these are only two solitary free throws, so we'll, we'll start with that. It's far from a trend. And to give Colin Gillespie credit, he made every free throw down the stretch to atone for that in order to secure the victory. But we talked about it a little bit yeah. last week. Still something I get concerned about. Yeah, I think every Villanova fan out there was thinking the same thing when he missed that first front end. It was, here we go again, same story, but, you know, coming back and, and making the next four free throws to really put that game on ice uh, was huge. And and that's that's what Colin Gillespie is going to have to do all year. You know, he's, he's the guy who's going to be getting that ball at, on an inbounds late in the game. They had two guys on him, and, and he still managed to get free, uh, which was – you know, great to see he's he's really coming into his own in terms of overall gameplay all around um, and, and to really step up in that big moment at the end of the game uh, is exactly what you need out of your leader uh, in, in the last uh, couple of minutes of that game. So uh, great to see them actually secure that win and be able to, to use the free throw to win it. Still, you know, 14 of 19 from the free throw line in that game not ideal, not you know where we're used to seeing this Villanova basketball team, but um, you know certainly an acceptable mark at, at this point in the season. Yeah, that's a shade under seventy-five percent, give or take. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Um, if you're getting that every game, I think you will take that. Uh, that's that's going to be right up there. If you do that for thirty games, that team that does that will be right there with any team in the country from a team free throw perspective. For sure. I mean, being around 75% would put you, you know, top 50 teams in the country. And, you know, that, that's what we said last week, you know, as Kevin said, it's not a Villanova free throw shooting team that we're used to having, not as good, but they're still not a bad free throw shooting team. We're not, we're just not going to have that comfortability and that sense of confidence as a fan in close games at the end. We're just not going to have that. It doesn't seem once again this year, um, which we haven't had the past um, two seasons really. Um, now, did but, you they're say, still, Tom, but they're still a good free throw shooting team. Did you say that if you're at 75% on the year, that, that puts you in the top 15 or 50? 50. 50. 5 0. Ooh. I, I think you're closer to the, to the apex than that, even. I mean, 50 teams is what is that? The top 20% or so in, in college basketball? I bet you're in the top 20 at that point. So if if we look, so I was, you know, beginning to go through some stats here. If we go to last season, I, w- I was getting into 2018-19. If we go to last season here, um, I see a free throw shooting percentage uh, as a team um, at 75% and that ranked 30th in the country. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that could yeah, be. So. So if you're around, you know, 73%, I would wager, you know, still top 50 as a safety. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but but one thing that I would like to say that I was impressed by was, and this is always the case whenever you play a Shaka Smart team, and this was a classic Shaka Smart team, quick guards, long, um, in-your-face defensively, um, and to win the turnover battle, what was it, 12-9 to 9 against a Shaka Smart team um, is, is a huge win. Um, you're always putting your success, your yourself in um place for success by doing that and and nine of those turnovers were caleb daniels four caleb daniels turnovers where it looked like maybe he was a little excited a little bit out of control um whatever but for but otherwise a solid basketball game handling the basketball um which is i think something that we are used to seeing as villanova fans um and i'm not saying turnovers have been a problem but it's nice to see this guard-heavy offense that we have, um, again, and a lot of confidence ball handlers out there. Yep. I think I think Caleb Daniels turning the ball over can and, and may be an issue depending upon the situations that they put him in. I mean, we, I talked about it last week. He's Dante, you know? I mean, he's, Don, he's Dante DiVincenzo um, in a lot of ways, which – that would be that would be great for Villanova for Jay Wright if if that's the role that Caleb Daniels can play. Certainly doesn't have the bounce of Dante Divincenzo, but you know a guy that can handle the basketball but shouldn't be expected to do so in a run the offense type standpoint. Uh, obviously not his best game, but a key key member of this uh, offensive output, a key wing player, and a pretty decent defender as well. So Villanova basketball report here on Bob Long Sports. Bob, Kevin, Tom, K-Mac, all joining us from uh, from around the globe here. We got two in PA, two in New Jersey. So, um, you know, bridging bridging the gap across the Delaware here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming game against Georgetown Hoyas. So we move into Big East play for this Villanova team. One game has already been canceled. The Georgetown game moved from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, I got to tell you. There was a part of me that was very much looking forward to logging off on Friday and, and popping in right to watch the game. But 7 o'clock it will be uh, a struggling Georgetown team, a team that in one breath will give West Virginia all at once and in another breath will lose to Navy. Uh, a lot of personnel issues on this team. Mac McClung sat out in that West Virginia game. They've had an exodus of players transferring Patrick Ewing building the culture there. I think Georgetown can and will be an asset for this Big East Conference in the years going forward if, in fact, Patrick Ewing stays and continues the vision. But I do like Villanova's chances in a big way on Friday night. Well, no love for uh, Patriot League there, just dismissing the Navy loss. I mean, that's, that's a good team down there, Bob. Um, no, it, <laughs> in all seriousness, um, yeah, it's struggling Georgetown team. It should be uh, a pretty comfortable game for, for Villanova. Um, obviously, don't want to take anybody lightly, but I'm expecting more of, you know, not on the Hartford level, but let's get Eric Dixon some minutes. Let's get Brandon Slater some minutes. Let's, you know, let Cole Swider play a majority of the minutes and see how he can defend against them for, for 30 minutes or so. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested to see how this team continues to, de to develop and see if there's anybody else that they can try and get on the floor. Obviously, you know, we'd love to have guys like Demir Cosby Roundtree back and uh, uh, Brian Antoine, but uh, you know, without them for the foreseeable future here, you know, to see, see what else we have and uh, 
you know, see, see what else we can find on our bench. I think that Patrick Ewing, I mean, he's going to be great for this team going forward and probably not this year, but I mean, he was an assistant coach in the NBA for years and years. Um, so I, I see him staying at Georgetown for as long as they'll have him. Uh, and I think he'll do a good job building them. Uh, I'm not too worried about this game for Villanova, as long as they can stay consistent, um, build on what they uh, just did against Texas. Um, and like Kevin said, uh, get some, get some Dixon minutes, someone uh, teach him how to pass the ball. He's become like a black hole when he gets it down on the block lately. Um, he needs to do a little more than just back the guys down and do a jump hook. But uh, I, I think uh, this could get, get some of the bench going, uh, hopefully. Oh, man, I, I like what Eric Dixon's doing down there. More often than not, he, he's a guy that's going to be bigger and stronger than his defender. I, I get that the offensive game isn't quite there yet, and I agree, Kevin. I think he can continue to increase and improve his ability to pass out of the post. I think that's another thing where speed of the game, when he, when he uh, you know, learns that again sitting out the whole year, I think he'll be a real asset for this team. I, I am strongly in the Eric Dixon camp as a guy that will be a key for this team by, before the year is ending. I'm with you, Bob, especially because I'm encouraged um, that he – I mean, he had that year to sit out, so that's time to develop. Um, but to see a player come in and immediately, you know, play 15, 20 minutes a game, um, and he looks solid defensively. Um, and he does look confident in the post. And I think those shots will start to fall. Um, so I like the player that he is, and I think he's only going to get better um, as he continues to get stronger and as he continues, you know, to get his feet under him out there seeing, you know, real basketball minutes, which he hasn't seen in a calendar year until this point. Um, and as for Georgetown, I mean, I think this is, I mean, certainly – um, they lost some talent um, with some falling out and various issue team issues last year. Um, but I think this is the kind of the type of the Georgetown team we've seen the past several years, which is, you know, they have the talent. It just, those pieces don't fall together. Um, they look like they could be a top 25 team, you know, for 30 minutes against West Virginia. Um, and then they'll look like the team that's averaging 16 turnovers a game for the final 10 minutes of that game. Um, and Villanova, you know, uh, is better than Georgetown in almost every offensive uh, statistic, and they're just a more disciplined basketball team. So I think it's just a case of, you know, to KMAC's point, Patrick Ewing um, still has work to do, and I, if I'm Georgetown University, I trust in Patrick Ewing and his vision, especially after everything they had to go through last year. Um, some of those guys weren't necessarily his guys, um, I don't think. Um, so I, I, I trust Patrick Ewing, but they're just not there yet. Again, it's another Georgetown team that's talented, but just does not put it together in terms of a full, cohesive 40 minutes of basketball. Yeah, and let the record show, right? I, we talk about this one being an easy one for Villanova. It is Georgetown, so that, of course, is, is never – a given and it's a lot of the same players for this Georgetown team that yeah were they starting to get together a little bit at the end of last year sure but somewhat a similar Georgia uh, Georgetown program that in the last game that Villanova played before COVID hit and they shut everything down they needed a goaltending call for for a Jermaine Samuels bucket to count to win that bucket or the game by one bucket so 
Uh, and that's the same Villanova team that a lot of people now say was coming into their own and could have made it, you know, a big run in the NCAA tournament, gone to the Final Four. Let the record show on a bit of a tangent that 2020, the NCAA tournament that never happened, was the tournament where 25 teams would have made it to the Final Four, depending upon who you ask. Oh, this team was coming into form. Ah, you never would have known. Uh, I, I do get the sense that you have a lot of people looking back favorably on what could have been for a wide variety of teams. But that's Villanova's game on Friday, 7 o'clock p.m. against Georgetown. Uh, doubling back to the Texas game, Justin Moore. We talked a little bit about him, and we're going to talk about Jermaine Samuels as well. Two guys that um, – well, certainly they're, they're different types of players, but Moore had a tremendous game against Texas filling up the offensive column. Jermaine Samuels was the team's best rebounder. Uh, interesting to, I, I guess, to evaluate these two guys, maybe not together per se, but uh, more a guy who, you know, can start or come off the bench. Samuels has found his way into the starting role. Go with K-Mac here because he didn't get to hop on last week. Let's start with their thoughts on Justin Moore and what he brings to the table. We'll say, when he's the primary guard and then when he's the off-ball guard? Well, I, I think he's going to be the key to this team's success this year, to be honest. Um, I think if he can develop his game um, and become the go-to guy, I think he can become, uh, and he can make a big jump this year, then this team can go pretty far. Um, will he do it and can he do it? I don't know. Um, he has shown some flashes this year. Um, but I, I really like what I've seen out of him. Um, and if he can continue to grow, I think this team's going to be very good. All right. We talk about, uh, we talk about more. How about Tom, Jermaine Samuels, eight, uh, 12 rebounds, make that eight defensively still some hiccup moments offensively and defensively at times, but we talked about it a little bit last week, right? Statistics and analytics show that this team is a better team rebounding team when he's on the floor, even if he's not filling it up. In this case, he did and, and was a key in securing some key defensive rebounds. Certainly. I mean, Jermaine Samuels does not want for athletic ability or effort. Um, he's a kid that plays hard. Um, Definitely has, you know, the athletic gifts out there. I mean, that's, what's make, that's what makes him such a great rebounder. He plays hard, and he has the ability to go get the basketball. Um, offensively, I saw some good things from him, I thought, against Texas. I thought he picked his moments. Um, you know, he shot seven field goals, only two of seven, but he had some good slashes to the basket a few times where he, he drove nicely to the basket. Um, I think that this was the type of game that we were talking about last week on the show that we would like to see from Jermaine Samuels, you know, picking his moments, playing within the offense. And I think that he thrives off of teams paying so much attention to JRE, right? Teams have to pay so much attention to Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Texas continuing, you know, to send bodies at him in the post um, and focusing so much attention on him creates so much more room for everybody else, especially a slasher type of player like Jermaine Samuels, like we would like to see. Jermaine Samuels be so this was actually I think a game that I think we saw some things that we were hoping to see and I hope we continue to see in the future especially with all these other pieces that we have right that was the story last week I think we said we really like the pieces it seems like more of a complete team this year and I think a Jermaine Samuels like we saw on Sunday against Texas plays better when there are more pieces around him and he can fit into that system 
Yep, I think I'll say this. The ability for Villanova to play five games in this short period of time where a lot of other programming, Gonzaga is going to take two weeks off. We've seen other programs really not even get off the mat at this point. Villanova learning these, these things about Justin Moore and Jermaine Samuels, and I brought them up because they are both, both supremely talented at, at a certain facet of things for Justin Moore. I think it's finding ways to score for Jermaine Samuels. It's rebounding and defense to a large extent, but can they continue to become more well-rounded? Can Justin Moore become a little bit of a better on-ball defender? Can he run the offense better when Colin Gillespie is off the floor? And Jermaine Samuels, can, can he just be a, a step ahead, right? Can he assess the situation in live time and make a decision, whether it's pass, shoot, or, or, or post up, whatever it might be off the ball um, in the game's key moments? Those are two guys that I think are going to be key to the depth. And the reason I go there is – because we've seen games where Jeremiah Robinson Earl has gotten into foul trouble early. Boston College, first game of the year. Now Colin Gillespie finds himself on the bench for a large period of time against Texas in foul trouble. And I felt like in both cases, they showed exactly why they're the most important players on this team, more so when they were off the floor than when they're on the floor. Um, Colin Gillespie being the guy who runs the offense, even even if he's not the guy taking the shot, just strong ball handling, understanding where the ball needs to go and running that fluid offense. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, that was game one, so we'll give it a pass, but Dixon wasn't really up to speed, and Jermaine Samuels struggled at times in that one. That was really the only inside scoring threat. So my question to you guys, start with Kevin here, where does that depth come from? Do you envision a scenario and when would this occur when this Villanova offense will be able to go long swaths of time without Jeremiah Robinson or Colin Gillespie or both on the floor? Well, I, I don't really envision a scenario where there's not a drop off when you lose one of those guys off the floor. And, and especially with Colin Gillespie, I'll start with him, you know, thinking about this two years ago on the flip side, we were in a situation where the offense was exponentially better when it ran through Phil Booth as opposed to Colin Gillespie. And, and you know, Jay was obviously forced to make that change midway through the year, and, and it helped this offense tick. And, and in the same way now, this offense just does not quite tick the same way with Justin Moore at the helm as it does with Colin Gillespie. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, Daniel's just not quite there as a – you know, a playmaker, uh, a point guard at this point, not very comfortable with him having the ball uh, for long periods of time. Um, so really, this team is is always going to lose something when when they lose Colin Gillespie off the floor. And you know, he just he just needs to be smart this year and and make sure he keeps himself out of foul trouble at all times. So that's that's really going to be a key for Villanova. And then for Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I mean. I don't know that we've seen a, a big man with, with better post moves in a, in a long, long time at Villanova. I, I think he just he gets the ball down low. He knows what to do with it. He's very comfortable, especially for a sophomore at this point. Think back to the guys like Ochefu and even Yaru, guys like that. They weren't comfortable in year one or two. Um, you know, getting right into this system. They they certainly took a long time to develop. This is more of like, you know, Eric Dixon is probably on the level that 
Ochefu was his freshman year. So, you know, not saying that he's necessarily going to be Ochefu, but, um, you know, you, you certainly lose a lot with a guy like Robinson Earl. He really does it all for you offensively, defensively. He can guard their big. Uh, he is just crucial to have it. And then he can space the floor out and then take a three. So uh, I think anytime one of those guys is in foul trouble, if you're, you're up against some of the best competition in the Big East or, you know, down the stretch in March, I, I think it's going to be a problem for this team. My memory may not be serving me well, but I'd argue that Eric Dixon, you could even qualify him as being more prepared than Ojefa was his freshman year. I mean, he was really struggling. He wasn't as big and strong, and he really had nothing from an offensive move standpoint, a technique of a big man coming out of high school. And they did a phenomenal job with him by his senior year. I'll leave it to K-Mac and Tom if they disagree, but also to opine on that initial question. No, I, I agree that I think Dixon is a little more prepared than Ochefu was. Um, and in hindsight, I, I think it was pretty good um, that Gillespie got in foul trouble, going back to that, uh, because it, it does give this team a chance to, to develop that lineup without him in it. Obviously, in hindsight, we know they won the game. We don't want Gillespie to get in foul trouble often. Um, but, I mean, the more that lineup does get the chance to play together, um, hopefully it, it will get some – momentum going forward to other games and confidence playing with each other. I'll tell you what, it's concerning. It, it is. I mean, the, your, it's your two biggest offensive weapons and the guys who are producing the most for you offensively. They're the guys taking the most shots, the guys scoring the most points a game. But I think more than that, defensively is where it kills you. Not having Gillespie on the court, not having Earl almost as like that, um, you know, front court quarterback, if you will, on defense. Um, surveying the floor and making sure everybody's communicating because um, he's just such I mean he's so mature as a player beyond his years is JRE um, and we saw it this weekend in Texas I think there was one um, moment in the game in the first half where Gillespie you know came out with with some foul issues maybe it was was barely even a minute um, and there was a defensive lap lapse um, and Jay sent him right back in the game um, and he's not going back in the game for offense because I, I think the offense, we have enough, we have enough weapons. We have enough pieces. I mean, it hurts you. Certainly. I just mentioned, you know, the production, both JRE and Gillespie give you, um, but even more so on the defensive end is where it hurts you. I mean, that's something that will develop throughout the season. That's something that develops every season is the defensive end. Um, to the Eric Dixon and Ochefu comparison, I think they're different players. Um, I think Ochefu taller, more length, was definitely more of your on-the-block rim protector, um, one-trick pony, until he became such a great passer out of the post. Um, Dixon is, I see him, I mean, we haven't seen him handle the basketball too much. I get the sense that he can. I see him, you know, as maybe not as skilled with the basketball, but he reminds me of Javon Pinkston in his size um he's a little bit taller um but a player who can play in the post clearly that's where he seems to be most comfortable now i'm not saying he's ever going to be as aggressive um or as um apt on the offensive end um as javon pinkston was um but those i see that more of as a similarity and wonder how that develops for for dixon r.i.p to the javon pinkston three-point shot do you guys remember that cup of coffee when 
Jay was letting him shoot the three. <laughs> Those were good times. No, I, listen, that's a fair comparison. Eric Dixon is definitely taller and might not be done growing. He's six eight ish. Could get up to hopefully six nine. Um, but you're right, back to the basket, big, strong, aggressive. Kevin McLernan said maybe he wanted him to pass more. Javon Pinkston was never afraid to go up amongst two or three guys. I do like that, Tom. And um, and clearly, you know, a different type of player, a different change of pace guy on the block. But whether or not he's a great passer, I think he certainly can be. Uh, and I think he is just ripe for being one of those back-to-the-basket, survey the scene, rise up, he's got good hops, or pass to the outside, find some openings in the perimeter. And, um, again, we're going we're gonna to keep talking him up because uh, he, he's my guy. I, he was one of the guys that I was most looking forward to uh, to see what type of role he has. And I hope and think that it will be more and more as the year goes on here. The only other thing I really had for tonight is to make sure we conditionalize caveat, all the things we're saying, when we talk about the good and and maybe the not so good, I mean, that Texas game, that was a great win. Uh, They only shot 40%, just a shade over 40% from the field. They shot 30% from beyond the arc. Texas is a strong defensive team. But I think there were a lot of really good things in that game. And I think there have been a lot of good things in, in just about every game. If they make one of three front ends against Virginia Tech, they are number two or three in the country. You look at teams like Michigan State, who had all they wanted against Detroit. Kansas nearly lost a game they shouldn't have. North Carolina has played some very poor games. Duke has struggled. It's one of those years where – you haven't had the same amount of time to practice. The field appears, I don't really know why, but appears to have been leveled, or at least there are some very quirky games and results. And what I'll say is, uh, whether or not Villanova has had one of those games, they really have not. Whether or not they will have one of those games where you just scratch your head, and how the heck did they lose to a team like that? Um, the fact that they've played five games through early December, they'll get another one in here this week, and – two or probably three or four more before the end of the year, barring any cancellations. We're going to know a lot about this team going into January 1st. And for a young-ish team that uh, has the opportunity to learn this much about themselves before the end of the calendar year, I think is huge as you head into 2021. Yeah, like you talked about through uh, this entire pandemic going on and, and, you know, first of all, just, thankfully having college basketball, which is great to have back, but, and some of the, the weird games, the, the close games you wouldn't think are close or, or even the upsets, you know, look at Virginia um, and San Francisco. I, I think that this is mentally draining on the players. I would have to think that, you know, you, you go to a bubbleville or just in general, I'm sure that all these players are quarantining I bet very few of them saw their families over Thanksgiving, may not get to spend a whole lot of time with them over Christmas. Uh, and I think it's going to be a long season for these guys if, you know, if they are able to continue playing and, you know, not, not to take anything away from the smaller schools, but if you're San Francisco and you're coming in to play Virginia, you're ready to go regardless. You're, you're taking a crack at one of the top teams in the country you're motivated, you're ready to play. And from Virginia's perspective, they, 
They don't have the fans that they're used to. It's, it's not the same environment and maybe it's a little demotivating to them, you know, not to, not to give them an out or an excuse. But I think that over the course of this year, you are going to see more of that for that reason. Um, and maybe as we get closer to March, maybe motivation levels pick up for some of these teams, but, but this is going to be a strange, strange year. And, if we get to March and April and, and we have a national champion at the end of the fall, I'll, I'll be happy that we made it through the season. Is it going to be another virtual one like uh, Dayton as virtual national champions, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, is any basketball is good basketball right now. I mean, if they can get on the court safely and play these games, even if it's against Hartford, uh, squeezing in these games early, uh, it's huge. I mean, you can only play against each other so much in practice that you, you need to get real games in. And Villanova's gotten five already. Uh, like we said, the Paul's postponed, but um, hopefully uh, it doesn't keep going with all the postponements. Hopefully somehow they can, they can manage to get these games in. Yeah. I mean, Tom, uh, to tee up your, you know, your, your thought here, just as an example, Kansas beats North Dakota state by four points few days ago over the weekend they look like they're on the doorstep to beat Creighton by three tonight and Creighton on any given night might be the best team in the country I mean you can say that probably about seven or eight teams and I think Creighton's one of them so it's just an amazing year I think we're gonna see more parity than ever um, I mean college basketball has been trending in that direction um, for you know, 10 plus years now um, but, um, by the way, Marcus Zagorowski just went to the free throw line with the attempt uh, three, shooting a three to tie the game against Kansas and just missed his third free throw two seconds ago. So Creighton had a chance to send it over. Wow. It's like they're not going to do it. Um, but they are – Hey, are you, by more... the way, fouling a guy down three as he's shooting a three with two seconds left? Is that good? Are you supposed to do that? You what the heck are they doing? It happens – more often than I would expect to see it. I'll say yeah. that. Um, I feel like we saw it many times in the NBA bubble. Um, guys fouled shooting threes at inopportune times. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think also, you know, for these mid-major schools, or even if you're a school that's typically at the lower, you know, lower on the totem pole for a major conference, going in to play these top-ranked teams – with nobody in the arena is just not nearly as scary. Um, you go in an environment and not, like, like Kevin Long said, you're already pumped up to play a top you know, ranked team. And you're now you're not even going into a hostile environment. Um, you know, it's like a preseason scrimmage. So um, I think that definitely takes away a bit of the teeth for these top ranked teams. And so I think, and in addition to just like all of the changes, cancellations and postponements we are seeing, we're going to continue to see wrenching the schedules, um, as Kevin Long also mentioned. Um, and, you know, routine is something I, I saw. I, I, I saw, excuse me, I know you have your Penn State show coming up, Bob, but excuse me for quoting Urban Meyer. I saw um, in one actually halftime of the Penn State game this weekend. He said that, Great teams and players thrive off of great routines. And so when you see routine, a wrench thrown into routines, that hurts great teams almost more than anybody because they have their routines down. And that's something they thrive off of, those little things and those routines every day. I and mean, I thought that was just a really interesting and insightful quote. 
Um, and I think that's something that is also another factor for why we will see maybe even more parity than ever. Two things there. One, trust the process. And two, Kevin Long as a former college pitcher, I mean, it's, it, it's starter versus reliever mentality. Starter has a routine, a process, a specific pregame. And to ask a starting pitcher to just go into the bullpen and totally reverse and throw a wrench in that routine can be very difficult, even for some of the most talented athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a completely different mental approach. Um, you know, in terms of you look at just Villanova over the past, not this past weekend, but the Bubbleville weekend, and and all of a sudden you you mentally prepare to win two games, you win your tournament, you're a, you win a preseason tournament, and and you go home happy, and then all of a sudden you throw another game on the schedule, and and that's great, but you know it's it's not something that they had mentally prepared for, and as excited as they were to get another game on the schedule and then eventually a second additional game on the schedule. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's difficult for these guys to just turn it on like that. All of a sudden you're staying in a hotel for an extra couple of days and you're away from your families. And uh, this doesn't mean as much because it's not, you know, a tournament per se, even though at the end of the day, it's, you know, all a record uh, that, you know, ultimately builds your resume towards the NCAA tournament, but, but it is absolutely a different mentality, a different routine, and, and it throws everybody off, and, and it's just going to be a matter of, of who can make these adjustments throughout the season or who is able to keep their routine as best they can uh, amid all the, you know, uncertainty throughout this year. Yeah, and agreed on a general basis, right? I mean, that Virginia Tech game, if we're getting specific, they played fairly well. They had three front ends with an opportunity to salt the game away. Didn't do it. I mean, that, you know, that in and of itself, if we're going to marginalize or, or really try to hone in on what, what went wrong there. And then again, Virginia Tech, really good team. Um, you know, I think I would argue that Villanova's done a very good job of what Tom's talking about and what you're talking about, Kevin, about adjusting to routine and We'll just see where they go. Speaking of routine, on to the Big East. Maybe just a little bit earlier than normal. A Friday evening tip against Georgetown. We'll be watching it. Hope you are as well. We'll be back next week for the Villanova Basketball Report. Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, K-Mac, our guys here on the roundtable virtually on BLS. And thank you guys so much for your time. See everybody next week.